You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hello there, lovers and friends. Okay. All right. I was supposed to be doing my best shampooty impression, but I sound more like some pretentious rich lady who can't cut her camembert. Uh, Frederick, Frederick, I am a rich bitch. Give me my camembert now. Well, shout out to she is the underscore T on Instagram. If you don't follow her, she's great too. But this episode is all about Shannon Boudram. Yes, this is episode 97 of American Sex Podcast. And I'm Sunny Megatron. My lovely co-host is Ken Melvoinberg, who you're going to be hearing from in a few minutes. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts too. Yes, you heard it already. This week's episode is with one of my favorite people in sex ed, and she is such a legit superstar. Little bit of trivia. If you watched our TV show, the Showtime original series, Sex with Sunny Megatron, you might remember Shan as one of our panel experts. And if you didn't see Sex with Sunny Megatron, that's okay. You know somebody who has a Showtime subscription. Go borrow their password. It might even be your parents. Borrow your parents' Showtime password. Queue up Sex with Sunny Megatron on demand. I mean, you know, your parents already watched it, so you got to get with the program. Watch it, too. Maybe not with your parents, or maybe, I don't know, not going to judge. For those of you who are not familiar with Shannon Boudram, Shan is the Internet's most sought-after certified sex educator, dating coach, and relationship expert with over 35 million YouTube views alongside her mainstream coverage across all major TV networks, The New York Times, Forbes, Time Magazine. She has been everywhere. Known by her community as Shan Booty, she worked on MTV's Guide to Sex series. She was the executive producer of the full screen series, Your Perfect Date, where she coached individuals in need of polished dating protocol. And she was also the host and consulting producer for Facebook Watches, Makeup or Breakup, that aired live for 33 consecutive weeks. Shan is also a best-selling author and her new book, The Game of Desire, Five Surprising Secrets to Dating with Dominance and Getting What You Want was just released. And this is what we're talking about this week, leveling up your dating game with Shan Booty. Okay, I heard that. I heard that collective groan. I heard it. You're like, oh, shit, a dating book. I 100% get where you're coming from. Most dating books, I also give major side eye to. You know, most of them boil down to like pick up artists techniques or in some way attempt to get you to change yourself and trick your potential mate into falling into monogamous bliss with you happily ever after. And then they're trapped. Uh, so when I first heard that Shan was writing a dating book, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank science above. You know, Thank every element in the periodic table. I knew this book wasn't going to be bullshit because I know Shan's not bullshit. I knew it wasn't going to play up monogamous, cishet, normative tropes. And you're going to dig what Shan has to say. We get into, in this conversation, the importance of emotional intelligence in dating and relationships. That's like key number one foundation. Got to have all that. We also talk about why it's important to know things like your attachment style and your apology style and also your partner's too. Why risky behavior is integral to your brain's development and bonding with a partner. 
how to handle things if your partner isn't as committed to doing all that self-work as you are and a lot more. Shan's advice can be used in any type of relationship style. I don't care if you're monogamous. I don't care if you're polyamorous. Doesn't matter your sexual orientation, your romantic orientation, your gender, etc. It applies to everyone. And it's also just as valuable to new partners as it is to those who have been together for decades. So before we get to Shan, I want to mention a couple of quick things. So one, over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing me talk a lot about the Fire Woman Retreat. It takes place in San Diego, September 29th through October 1st, 2019. And I'm going to be there facilitating and teaching. And if you just went, wait, I totally like tuned you out until I heard you were going to be there. Now, where are you going to be? What's this Fire Woman? When is it? What? Okay, listen up. The Fire Woman Retreat is a unique three-day event designed to help women break through the things that hold them back from being who they really are as sexual people. Through transformative teachings, play shops, incredible evening events by Firelight, and powerful connection with other women who are on this journey of sexual evolution too, you're going to be forever changed. Seriously. You can join us for an epic three-day experiential sexuality retreat hosted by Amy Jo Goddard, and it combines the power of healing and ritual, hands-on skill building, creative play and dress-up, spectacular evening events, and life-changing inner transformations. If you want to learn more about this event and more about Amy Jo Goddard, go back and listen to episode 61 of American Sex Podcast titled Empowerment and Healing in Trying Times. In that episode, Amy tells us a bit about last year's event, and you can hear those seeds being planted for me participating in the event this year because in it, I'm like, oh my God, that sounds so cool. I want to go 8,000 times and boom, this year, I'm going to be there. So to check out Firewoman, go to firewomanretreat.com. I also want to give a shout out to some very, very, very special American fuckers. Oh, yes. You know what time it is. It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. I want to give a big shout out to the folks that joined our Patreon family this week. Big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Melquia. You're our newest American Sex Podcast Patreon member, and we appreciate you so much. We seriously couldn't do this podcast without you and your support, so thank you. And if you're listening along wondering what all this Patreon stuff is about, go on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American Sex. There, you'll learn how to become an American Sex Podcast Patreon member, and not only does your membership help support the show, you get lots of awesome perks too, like bonus stories from our guests, and by the way, Shan Booty tells one this week about an accidental chokeout moment. Gotta hear it. Uh, you may get extra full-length episodes, American Sex Podcast stickers, video greetings, random surprises in the mail, and a bunch more. All right, fuckers. American fuckers, that is. Are you ready? Because if you're fucker, that's not good. But if you're American fucker, you're awesome. Here is the amazingly brainy, beautiful, and kick-ass dating expert, Shannon Boudram. All right. Okay. So you have been working on, and I assume you've been working on this for a long time, your newest book, The Game of Desire, and it's Five Surprising Secrets to Dating with Dominance and Getting What You Want. And that's the one. I'm so fucking excited. So you took, was it (laughs) six people? 
Yes. Um, and you worked with them over a whole summer about, you know, on their dating technique and finding relationships. I find this particularly interesting because I'm going to make it a mission to you and all the American fuckers listening that might be surprising. I fucking hate dating. I'm a horrible dater. Ken and I are in an open relationship. So theoretically, you know, I can date as much as I want. I would rather just be like, you're a friend. I'm a friend. We're sexy. Let's fuck and not do the dating thing because I hate it that much. <laughs> she really so, does. Yeah, That's I do. I fucking hate it. So when you, when I saw that you wrote that, I was like, oh, hell yes, because I love everything that comes out of your mouth and out of your brain. Um, so set up the game of desire for me with this, you know, how you worked with these, these people and what transpired. I feel like you just set it up perfectly because just let's replace the word dating with cooking, karate, dancing, traveling, um, traveling, maybe not, <laughs> maybe you just hate traveling, <laughs> but the rest of them, which are actual skill based activities. And so if you hated cooking, what would you tell that person? You wouldn't say like, Oh yeah, cooking is trash. Like just forget the whole thing. You'd be like, you ever considered a cookbook? You ever considered going to a cooking class? Have you practiced in low-risk environments? Have you made a couple staple dishes that you're really good at, built your confidence up, and then eventually, you know, started maybe going to potlucks, trying different recipes? Have you gone out to different restaurants? We would have all these solutions for that individual. We would have a plan of action for them. But when it comes to dating, one, we don't learn emotional intelligence in school. Oh, God, I yes. often say, say that again. Oh my God. Say it again. I, I, I think that in kindergarten, we should start t teaching young kids like, hey, when someone steals your crayon and you want to shove the rest of your crayons in their eye, here's actually what's happening in your brain as to why you're having those feelings. Here's how you manage yeah. them. When your best friend goes and plays with somebody else and you feel the most disgusting, heart-wrenching pain you've ever experienced in your little life, here's actually what's going on in your brain and here's how you manage those emotions. Like we don't, I, I think sex education obviously is massively important and we don't do a great job at that but emotional intelligence education really isn't there either mm -hmm. human connection education really isn't there either um, how to assert yourself in a room how to make yourself be felt how to be a better communicator all these things we just don't learn in school of course we also don't learn about credit card management so you have to wonder in a conspiracy theory kind of way why are all the very important things in life that actually lead to a happy prosperous successful stress-free life not things that we learn um in, in our education in our formative years oh, I, I have an answer for that because men oh my gosh because men oh do 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 expand i'd like yes, to hear this please. so men's versus uh women's magazines when we take a look at those women's magazines are geared towards uh emotional intelligence in a lot of ways. They're more emotionally adept at answering questions and thinking in broader terms where men's magazines are geared towards a specific subject. So when we're socialized to display our, in, our, our emotional intelligence in any way, it's very difficult for us to do because we are unable to do it. So we don't put any time, money, or investment into the entire process. Does that make sense at all? Yes. Yeah. I, it was funny because I was just talking to one of my female friends that like, hey, for recreation, what do we do? We play psychologist and we go, well, I think yeah. in this, I think in this relationship, I think I'm, I'm really feeling something from my past. And I know I'm letting that knee jerk reaction, you know, like come into this relationship. And I, I really need to check myself on that. And blah, blah, blah. Like, that's our recreation. How often do you ever hear men talking like, like never no we're shit at it and yeah. it's like it's really really difficult for me to realize when i'm 
having a lack of emotional intelligence and it happens very frequently still. Like I try to get more and more better at it over time, but like, I'm still crap at it. Yeah. And I mean, not to be all binary and like women are great and men are awful, but like there's even a lot of women and a lot of people of all genders who, like you said, Shan, we're just not taught this stuff. We go from, you know, as you said, wanting to put all your crayons in somebody's eye to you've just graduated from whatever. (laughs) Welcome to adulthood. You have no preparation. Go. Like, exactly. Right. It's in any other area in life. If somebody had that little education, maybe their parents weren't the best examples of intimate connectors or emotionally intelligent individuals. Maybe they were socially awkward and so didn't have an opportunity to learn serendipitously in school. And then you force that person out there into the world into an area of life that is highly addictive, right? Like we're born to bond. And so you have no education, you have all of the drives in the world, and now your brain is like, pick the right person and do this thing and be great at it. I I just don't know statistically know how many people just luck into the right circumstances or just really enjoy it off the Mm -hmm. bat. So the game of desires is based on that premise of, hey, like this is a skill. Like, don't stress out, like, take the pressure off of yourself, take all the anxiety off of this, stop giving yourself these definitive labels like, I am not good at this, or I am not good at flirting, I am not good at connecting, I don't know how to date, I don't know, I am an introvert, Um, because all of these are choices, like, we are whoever we consistently choose to be, and just like at one point or the other, you probably said, I can't tie my shoelaces, you learned, you practiced, you did it repetitively, you did it in a variety of different laces and different shoes, and now you're a shoe-tying motherfucker, so... (laughs) That's what the premise of the book really is, is that like, if you feel like you're left out of the narrative, if you feel like this is an area that's shrouded with so much confusion and pain um, and disappointment, then this might be a solution for you. God, thank you. Because I'm this is my profession. I'm almost 50 years old, and I still suck at it. Like I'm horrible at it. So you said that we're in a dating apocalypse right now. So what does that mean? Yeah, that's Vanity Fairs. Uh, They had an article that was like went viral that was called that. And essentially, it means that statistically dating is very difficult right now. There's actually a documentary called Swiped by Nancy Jo Sales. And she was a Vanity Fair writer who wrote that article. And that's an hour and a half of stats, figures, personal stories, anecdotes, case studies, on why it is so difficult to date now. And I also attribute that to the fact, again, the lack of education. So the way that I see it, we have continued to increase the capacity and the abilities of the vehicle in which we make connections. The vehicle in which we make connections goes light speed. It has all these fancy buttons. It's got tons of different options. It's hella souped up, but people still don't know how to drive. The basic fundamentals of what do you do when you get in this car are still not available. And as a result of that, you have these really fancy fancy cars and really inadequate drivers. And that leads to a lot of crashing and burning. Mm. God, it does. Oh my God, does it. So, okay. When we talk about the game of desire, because I think about other dating books that are out there, especially ones that have game in the title, and they really are just a game. They're how to manipulate someone into thinking you're something that maybe you're not necessarily, you know, that thing. So, how is your game different? And because I, I know the answer to that. But also, how much of the game of desire is actually self-worth and self-awareness? Oh, the actual answer to that is half the book. <laughs> Literally, it, it was actually a, jo- a running joke with one of the girls in the group named Courtney. She was like, girl, when are we getting the dick? Like, when is the dick coming? Because it's almost like karate. When you sign up for karate, you think you're signing up to kick through walls of bricks. But 
more or, or less, you're sitting down in a classroom, you're sitting down talking about theory and about mind control um, and about patience and love for like the first half of your karate uh, career and going forward, the same thing. You don't, it's all about throwing punches and um, breaking through wood. And the same thing when it comes to being a masterful connector, it's, it's not about getting the dick or getting the pussy or um, getting that individual into bed or into situation. It's about knowing who you are, what you have to offer, being in alignment with the kind of people who bring out the best in you, knowing how to find those individuals, and then eventually getting whatever it is that you're looking for um, out of like a, a transactional encounter. But half of the book, literally, I think it's 300 pages, and that bef- you don't until like page 180, we don't even talk about anybody else other than self. But I, first and foremost, um, I don't, this is the thing, when we think about games and relationships, it has a really bad rep, but what is a game? A game is a a structured activity that people know they're both getting into. Everyone knows the same rules, they know the same guidelines, the same objective objectives are clear for everyone, and it's a bonding activity that's meant to bring out the best in everyone. And games are supposed to be fun, and regardless of if you get your objective or you don't, you're supposed to enjoy the process of playing. And so I called it the game of desire because I want people to start, one, having a strategy in place, because it's not just serendipitous. You, you, you do have to actually put thought behind this, and that's what games are, like get a strategy. Um, two, come to the table and make this fun make this an enjoyable thing that you can actually say like i really had fun on that date i enjoyed myself and maybe i didn't meet my person or maybe we didn't end up going to bed together but at the end of the day i had an opportunity to connect with somebody and as humans our superpower is that we're born to bond and i got to bond with another human being for an hour that was kind of cool uh i had fun so that's what i mean by the game of desire it's One, count yourself in to be a player. Don't count yourself out and say that you were in the passenger seat waiting for things to happen to you. Show up ready to play, ready to get into the race and and have fun while you do it. And number two, have a clear objective. Um, Know exactly what it is that you desire and what you desire out of each experience. But even win, lose or draw, you're still supposed to enjoy the process of connecting with other people. Mm, Yeah. I have a quick question for you. So one of my dating techniques is not, and I want to know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. And somebody's getting ready to I'm laugh ready. right I'm now. Like, <laughs> I always do something mildly illegal on a first date intentionally. Oh like I gosh. plan to do Tell some me. sort of a minor crime. Now, not hurting anybody or um, like assault, murder, anything like that, but like mild breaking and entering maybe, or like going into an area of a building that I'm not supposed to, or... or- Maybe indecent exposure in a public place, but with nobody else looking. But with nobody else looking. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. I didn't violate anybody's we were consent in public, when we did that. So it was like, ooh, really? Bad idea, but good nobody idea. Nobody was looking. Amazing idea. <laughs> that is amazing idea. That's actually like there's an experiment that was done. And they basically had people go on a first date. One peop- one set of people went on a date on a solid bridge, like a bridge that was built out of concrete. And the second people went on a date that was a swinging bridge. The people who went on a date on the swinging bridge always noted they had a higher attraction to each other because your brain is not all that smart. Your brain can't tell the difference between ind- adrenaline-induced uh, arousal or adrenaline-induced fear. So when you are in a state of fear, that adrenaline rush also signifies to your brain that this person that you're around excites you. Um, And excite, of course, is part of our sexual arousal response. So that actually in the book is one of the experiments that I sent one of the girls on. She had to go to like a skydiving class with a guy just to see if, again, having a little bit of fear of danger on the date actually created a stronger bond. So can you do it? And and this is where our Venn diagrams sort of cross because that's exactly why we're into BDSM and why we play with fear in our sex play 
because that, you know, that adrenaline rush and everything that's happening in your body, like you said, crisscrosses with the sexiness and it takes you to a whole new place. Oh, yes. I actually really have to. That's one of the things like me and my partner talk about this a lot. We're like it's a long life. Um, but we like the BDSM thing. We've only like just like tiptoed like on the ends of Shibari and sort of on the ends of like wax play even. And that's like an area of life that I'm really excited to continue to explore and dive into more because I absolutely agree. It's that novelty, mm-hmm. right? Like the brain, your risk and reward center lights up when you experience something new and it, um, and dangerous. Right. There was actually a study that I read that was really fascinating that said that for teenagers in uh, specificity, that risky behavior is integral to their brain's development. Mm-hmm. So teens have to do crazy dumb shit that you're like, why would you do that? Uh, but making those big risks is actually a really important part of developing into a healthy adult thought process. Yeah, absolutely. And I should be way healthier than I actually am. Or way better. <laughs> you just got lucky. I think of all the things I'm like, I could have died. I had what so many I broken thinking? arms and stupid yeah. shit that I did. So. Yeah, but your brain is literally like encouraging you to make these crazy decisions at that time. Um, I just think how much more fat, you know, you know, what's one of the greatest things that I did when studying uh, sexology Mm -hmm. is they made us read this year by year guide of sexual behavior, normal. And I use the word normal, of course, just by like median, not by like what's actually normal, like the average person. And so by each age, what is normal sexual behavior? And it was like saying like, yeah, like in at age five, like you're probably masturbating. And I'm like, you know, every parent who catches their five-year-old masturbating freaks out and sends them to a therapist. But But if you read this, you're like, oh, it's normal. You know what I mean? Like this is average behavior this is not that big of a deal and so i think there's so much that we can do and so many breaks we can cut ourselves like even if you just knew that about your teenager like your teenager's not doing dumb shit because they hate you and they hate your grandma or whatever it is they're they're doing it because again like their brain is prompting them to make these kinds of decisions and down the line this could be healthy for them and also as a teenager if you knew that about your decision making process you might be able to slow down and say I don't actually think that I want to jump off this bridge. I think my brain is telling me to do it uh, because of X Yeah, reasons. we actually talk to our kids like that. You know, when when one of my kids is because they're 24 and 17 right now. So when one of them's going through a hard time, I'm like, look, your frontal lobe isn't done developing until you're 25, yes. 26. Your brain is making you want to think this way. This is why you feel like this is the end of the world or da, da, da. You know, so know that that's what's influencing your feeling. Not that your feelings aren't valid. But know that that's the, the the physiology behind what's happening to your emotions. Hey, Sonny, should we throw them a 27-year-old brain birthday party when their brain is fully developed? Yeah, like 25. That's awesome. Well, that's so funny. I yeah. love that. Older one's going to be 24. So she's got a year. Like at 25, we should bro- like happy first birthday frontal lobe. <laughs> <laughs> we, can make a, we can make a brain cake. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. I want a cake so bad. Oh, my God. Okay, so that, that's going to happen. All right. So one of the things that I really appreciate about your book is that you categorize things because, you know, as our brains work, we like, even though, yes, we're like, we shouldn't look at things in silos and put things in buckets, but that's also how our brain works. So even when we're first being introduced to a topic, if we can be like, hey, I'm in this category or this is my label, it makes things easier to understand. So we all know about, Mm -hmm. you know, the five love languages. And even though it's like, yeah, when you sit down and you look at the love languages, you might be like, you know, I don't solidly fall into one, or I wish there was a, a sixth love language that said, Blah, blah, blah. But it still gives us a good roadmap. 
So you do that a lot in your book. You have like the attachment styles. And one thing that I was like, oh, my God, was your your apology styles. And I was like, okay, this apology style stuff is applicable in every single area of life because we all fuck shit up. I need to read that section yeah, hard right now. We all need to apologize. <laughs> and 95% of us apologize real shitty. So can you tell us about the apology styles? Yeah, so that's actually also Gary Chapman. So the five love languages creator, he made the five apology languages. Personally, I think he made five because it was five love languages. He's trying to like repeat a formula. There's really only three that were very different for me. Um, (laughs) They were express regret, genuinely repent, make an act of restitution, request forgiveness. And then the fifth one, I think it was like some variation of say you're sorry. But in essence, it just acknowledges that different people need different things. Like my apology language is uh, act of restitution. Meaning if you break my watch, offer to fix it or buy a new one. I don't want to hear like, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Like I cannot believe I did that. I'm so irresponsible. I'm like, when are they going to mention the money? You know, in my mind, like if I tell my partner, like, I feel like you're being really distant today. I don't, I don't really feel affection from you. If he's like, you know, I'm my bad. I don't mean that. I mean like start making out with me right now. Um, and whereas in my partner's apology language is take responsibility for self. And so whenever I do something for him, he's not going to listen to me or be able to hear until I completely own the responsibility. And in that moment, especially when he's been slighted, the last thing that I should do is try to be like, well, also this morning you did because I'm going to just prolong the argument. So I I love what you said, Sonny, because this is the thing. Nuance is a, a tool for masterful individuals, right? Um, just kind of like dance even you need if you're just starting to learn how to dance you need very strict counts it has to be very clear and very specific the better you get the more you can develop your own style and nuances and you can take adaptations and now make it your own and develop the language to effectively communicate that to other people but when you're just starting out like my pet peeve is when people are like well i'm kind of all apology languages i'm like no duh bitch who wouldn't like you know someone to express regret and take responsibility and do a makeup act like of course we would but explain that to your partner you know it's just as a, a very you know uh layman example if someone says to you like oh it's dinner time what do you want to eat and you're like i like all food and you're like uh, okay but what, what do you what do you want to specific specificity and they're like everything i i don't know I, I all food's good to me i like everything of course you do but like in this exact moment communication is about clarity and i need to know exactly what you're looking for and if i know you know pizza is your favorite thing it also makes it easy for me as a partner to do something kind for you because i'm like oh yeah like their love language is acts of service so if i see them being stressed out let me do that um and that guess will be right eight out of ten times so don't look at it like you're beholding yourself or limiting yourself but you're giving your partner an opportunity to step up for you because they now have clarity on what your preferences Mm, are yes So I need a rundown of who this book is good for, because you have a bunch of videos for for American fuckers that are not familiar with Shannon Boudram. Go to YouTube. What are you? Shan Booty is your your channel name. Yes, I am. So many great YouTube videos. There are YouTube videos with the, the people that you worked with for this book. And are they all women identified? Yes. Okay, so all the women that you worked with on this book, you have them in videos. It's it's really eye opening. Um, and shit, I just lost. I was complimenting you so much. I just fucking so lost did I. I was just like, keep it going. Like, and Shan's wonderful. <laughs> She's and all awesome. The people so she smart. With her wonderful. YouTube channel is great. Her Instagram <laughs> is great. She is great. She's on this podcast. It's also great. Um, no, I I I love 
who this book is for this is what you were asking yes yes who is this book for so it's obviously for like younger because the the women you profiled are are i would say, what millennial you know on the younger side dating but is that the only person this book is for is it for older folks is it for polyamorous folks is it for who is it for yeah so it's uh, the people in the book case studied were 24 to 37 i think that's just because you know in life you have to pick a demographic and right that there was actually a woman who was 57 who was incredible and a diplomat who i desperately wanted in the book but her job was too um strict for her too because afterwards people had to have agreement for their picture to be used, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly, this it's a universal information. Like what Ken just said about his dating tip is something that's in the book. There is no, there really isn't much distinction amongst gender, race, sexual orientation when it comes to the art of human connection. Um, but I know we like to make distinctions and I think I, my publishing company is HarperCollins. And so for them, they want to make a certain target audience and so they're going to clarify and say what is the gender who's going to buy this book and what is the age range and let's try to appeal to them but in my heart of all hearts this is universal information uh, but three people i think this book is for as is because identity also is important although i will say that 50 shades of gray when i first heard about that book i thought it was about an older woman because everybody who i knew was reading it was older and I was shocked yeah. to find out it was about an 18-year-old. So apparently, you know what I mean, we can all envision ourselves in different standpoints. And so I would like to think that regardless of your age, you're going to find useful information, especially if you're, one, re-entering the dating market. That's who this book is for. It's just going to give you a kick in the ass, give you a clear strategy, give you new tips to try out. And I think it will start to make dating fun for you at the very least. Number two, this book is for people who are the go-to. So if you are that person amongst your group of friends who everyone's always coming to for advice, for tips, um, for strategies, for ideas, for first date um, information, this book is to arm you so that you can be better at your job. Because like you said, everybody, every group, every group of girlfriends has their own in-house psychologist, um, has their own in-house sex and relationship expert. And I wanted to arm that person with a lot of information to disseminate. And three, this book is for nosy people. Because at the end of the day, it's also just a story of what happens when seven women commit themselves to change and put themselves together who would never under any other circumstances hang out. And the drama and the love stories and the change um, and the human moments that result from that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love just like the, the human real connection. It's kind of like, I don't know, appeal to my guilty pleasure of like, watching reality shows. I was just going right? to say, it sounds you like know? a good TV show. <laughs> yeah, like, yes. okay, what's happening with this person now? Um, all right, so is could it be for people, let's say, who have been dating, let's say I've been dating, or let's say I've been married to someone for 10 years, and then I read your book, and I'm like, ooh, there were some, there's some good points in this book, but I kind of skipped over those, or I glossed over those, and maybe I need to go back and work on these particular things with my existing partner. Can your book be used that way? Yeah, I've I've gotten so many wonderful reviews from people. I mean, like, this is the thing. I hate to be, I'm like so in the back of my mind. I'm like jack of all trades, master of none. So I never want to be the person who's like, this book is for puppies and for unicorns and metal people. Because you may not read this and see yourself represented. I do, again, think that the information, the knowledge is universal. I think that the art of connection and seduction, that's not something that's reserved for single people. I do not, I'm a married person and, um, 
the things in this book I use in my Uber. I use when I go to Panda Express. Like it's just a part of my general ability to connect with others. I was actually my my two cousins, my sister and my cousin were visiting me from Toronto and they were so annoyed with me because everywhere that we went, we would just be engaging in what they were calling like non-consensual conversations where I'd say something to somebody and the next thing you know, like we're talking to this random person that they don't care about for five minutes. And like, can you shut up? This is so annoying. And I said to them, I was like, do you know why I do this? I do this because when I am in front of Jada Pinkett, which happened for me a, like a month ago, who's to me an <gasps> idol. What? Holy shit. Oh when my I'm, I'm touching Pinkett, my microphone right? because we're how many Wait, degrees wh- of separation? When I'm in front of Jada Pinkett, I love her. Just well, I wasn't. This is the thing, Ken. We, I was at an event that she was at where she was speaking, but I purposefully positioned myself in her eyeline. I was at the back of the room, though. So... There was like, there's me and a hundred people between me and Jada Pinkett, but I positioned myself, I stood up and I stood at the right in her eyeline and I stared at her and I smiled, I affirmed her, I mirrored her. And when it came time for questions, they said, anyone in the front row have a question? And she said, that girl in the back with the curly bun, get her the microphone. And the only reason that happens is because I'm having these stupid conversations with every single person all day long. I am constantly practicing. I am constantly challenging myself to be a better connector, to be a better flirt, to be more fluid in my interactions. And I get rejected all the time. I go through awkward conversations literally all the time. I had the most awkward exchange with the waiter last week. Um, so I think that this book is for anybody who just wants to be in the driver's seat of the connections that they make, who wants to go out there and feel like they can make connections at will. They want to feel felt when they enter into every room. And that's who ultimately this book to me is for. Uh, but yes, on a sub level, it is for women specifically who are struggling in the dating market. Mm. So you touched on something that when I was going through your book, do you ever, you know, you're reading and something, a sentence just jumps out at you. And sometimes it takes on a bigger life than even what the author might have meant just in that sentence. You're like, oh, it's like, oh, this is some kind of, you know, symbol of my life or, you know, I, I want to get this tattooed on me. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> so it was a sentence that said, what's more important, your growth or your ego. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is everything. This is everything. And that's really uh, what this book does for you. It really helps you grow. However, this is a, an issue that I've had repeatedly in my life, getting into relationship after relationship that ended up being you know, abusive and not good. And, you know, is that I make all this effort to work on myself and I end up picking people that don't make the same effort or that end up being like manipulator, bad news kind of people. Um, so what can people do like when they get to the self growth, you know, if they've done the self growth, they're like good on themselves, but now it's like, you're ready to step into the dating world. And maybe you meet this shiny, beautiful new person that says all the right shit and you fall for all the things And they end up being like, you know, the next Ted Bundy or I don't know, whatever. How do you learn to read other people and know that they're putting in the same effort in their self-work as you are? Yeah, I think we give a lot of people a lot of credit for being incredible actors, really smart deceptors. And there are some out there. Of course, there are the Ted. There's a historical 
uh, seducers, the ardent rakes who know how to manipulate people and pull strings. Most people really just aren't that smart. And so I think a lot of times what happens is, again, we're born to bond. We're, we're biologically engineered to create pair bonds, the individuals and the number one determinant for if you're going to connect with somebody or not is proximity. And so the more that you're around someone, the more that you're likely to make an attraction or, or bond the individual. And you have to slow that process down and do your due diligence. I say to people all the time, I'm like, you can't avoid the work. The work is going to happen, but you're either going to work to really screen. You're going to work to know what your standards are. You're going to work to slow down your biological urges to bond so that you can be uh, more logical in your decision-making and more aware, or you're going to work in the aftermath to try to one, detangle yourself from a bad partnership or two, try to force something to work. You're just, I don't, or you luck out. Um, But I mean, love and sex and dating is such a massive part of my life. I I don't feel comfortable leaving that up to chance, but if you do, that's your decision. But Ultimately, I I just think that we give so many people so many credits for being these great deceivers. But I think in truth, like we're not giving ourselves enough space and time to be great decision makers. And we're not outlining what we're looking for in a really clear way for ourselves. And I'm not saying like I have a job listing exercise in the book. And the women in the book, when I presented that, were like, oh, my God, like, yes. are we putting this out there? What is this? Yes. Like, like, I don't like, like you're, this. <laughs> like you're interviewing your potential new dating partner, like as if for a job. And when I read that part of me, because I've I've seen people suggest that before or even in a derogatory way, like, oh, what is a first date? Like a job interview? Why would you ask? All, you know, or whatever. Um, but I, I don't know. In recent years, I started thinking like wait a minute, that's not a bad idea. Because if it's somebody that you would have working with you, you want to make sure that they have the same, I don't know, decision making capabilities, or that they can work with you. And I don't know. So what what did the women think of that when you presented that? Yeah, exactly. Then they're just like, this is embarrassing. I would never put this out there. Why are we doing this? This is stupid. And I was like, okay, I just want you to think about yourself as like a multi-billion dollar corporation. If you're the CEO of a very big corporation and the success of the company is based on the kinds of decisions that you make and the kinds of people that you invite into this company, wouldn't you be very practical about who you're looking for for each given role? And the problem with romantic relationships or connections in general is that we don't open up enough complex roles. Like everybody has a shot at life partnership, but you might meet somebody like that's the friends of benefits, right? Like that's somebody who I delegate to say, I don't see a partnership here in a, a emotional way, but physically we, we are a match and I want to engage with that. You have to also, again, take into consideration that biology wants you to make a larger investment. So if you are going to go that way, you have to be really, really disciplined. Um, but nonetheless, it's like you the clearer that you are, the less chance you have of hiring an intern into your executive suite and the less chance you have of hiring your hiking buddy onto being somebody who you now have a lot of accountability and responsibility for, where in essence, you knew from the jump they weren't going to be up for the role. But... Uh, one of the things in the book that I like to say several times is that effort has to be both your primary and secret ingredient when it comes to this game. That means your first date can't feel like an interview, even though it kind of is. That means that even though you have this criteria, you never put that out there. That means that, yes, you've got a formula and a system and set standards, and you have different job openings in your mind that you know you can slot somebody into. But these are never things that you communicate because people don't like that kind of inauthentic feeling, especially when it comes to matters of the heart. 
So you've got to be a little bit of a spy here where in a playful way, you're trying to tease out the information that you're looking for and you're using that to inform what kind of investment you make in the relationships, but you're never making that clear to the other individual. Also too, when people Mm. think they're being assessed, they're more likely to pretend and put themselves on their best behavior. And you want to create an environment where someone is shows up as their authentic self because that's going to inform what kind of decision you make about them. Yeah. Hey, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for National Public Radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash americansex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American sex. Okay, along those lines, I want to talk about flirting because I have an issue with flirting personally. I felt like my dating, if you can call it a dating life, because I still hate dating, changed tremendously when I joined uh, more sex positive communities, kinky communities where it's very commonplace to be upfront, like instead of flirting and kind of playing the winky eye thing and, you know, like wink, 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 you actually say like, hello, I'm very attracted to you. I would like to have sex. Are you interested in having sex with me? What kind of sex do you like? Do you like this kind of sex? And it's very like most people be like, that is so unsexy. But like my Vulcan brain loves that. And I have a very hard time reading people when they're flirting. It's like they they did this and they made a winky face or touched me and I have no idea what the fuck that means. So how do you recommend A, people go about flirting or B, make certain concessions if they do have a hard time with the winky winky face and understanding what the hell that all means? Yes, we had this, um, she is an androgynous lesbian whom is just a sex goddess and or god, um, she goes by gender neutral pronouns, but the um, Ernie, Ari Fitz is just to me like the embodiment of flirtatiousness. And so I had them come in and teach a flirting workshop in which they said off the top, nothing is less flirty than having a structured formula. So even doing this in itself is not very sexy or flirty, but I'm gonna do it anyways. I think it's just, again, like it's practicing different techniques, being aware. And I don't think there's anything wrong with not being aware of someone's flirting with you. Uh, if that's, if that's your game where you're so comfortable and you're so in your element and you're relaxed that you're not queuing in on, you're not picking up what they're putting down, that also encourages a person to increase the stakes. So mm-hmm. I, I just, just like the littlest things in life and be conscious of your body position. I think easiest flirting tip, try mirroring. So that means if someone is speaking to you, just copy their body language. So that all you're basically doing is giving somebody back what they're giving you. 
and it's up to them to increase the stakes or maybe you increase the stakes. So you're mirroring and if they're leaning in, you're leaning in. If they put out a hand and touch your wrist, you put out a hand and touch their wrist. And so that naturally is creating an escalation without you having to be so heady about it. You're just allowing someone else to take the lead, but you're also practicing mutuality so that person continues to make advancements. Okay, I'm going to try that. Next time someone's like, t- I'm going like, to touch you back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm touching Ken right now. I'm going to touch you back, Ken. I'm going to touch you back. That's, I was mirroring you. That's what you were looking oh, at me. All okay. weird. I was doing was what like, you were doing. And you're looking oh, at me like, really? I was like, why are you nodding? Your- was I really? Was I nodding my head like a dork like that? Yeah. Oh. So if, if the person you're flirting with starts acting like an asshole, know that they're acting just like you. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, the truth will set you free. <laughs> Okay, so another thing that I've had issues with, it, I fucking, I just, I hate everything about dating. I'm so sorry, but I want to make it better. But I hate with a passion online dating. And it seems like these days you can't escape online dating. Like I, I had a Tinder profile, I think up for five seconds and I was like, nope. And I took it back down. Um, but one, I have a hard time writing my own online dating profile and two like for me i just never find especially i don't know what it is like i feel like there's a lot of men especially on dating profiles that don't put a lot of time and effort into their profile and they're like or they're like hey you know the message is hey and i'm just like okay no bye so okay for someone putting up their own dating profile what are some (laughs) mistakes that we commonly make or some things that we should always be doing that we're not. Yeah. Um, I think that online dating is a pro tool versus like an entry level tool. So if you're somebody who hates dating and sort of hates the impersonalization of making connections in that way, I don't know if online dating is like the best entry level position. And especially someone like yourself, Sunny, because like you're so involved already in community. You already have a platform and, and uh, tons of other options to meet people in. So I don't even know if I would recommend online dating for you right now. You just took such a load. Uh, like, <sighs> oh, <okay>. like I, <laughs> ser- I'm like, really? Okay, because I'm like, that's what I have to do to meet. And I fucking hate it so i don't have to sham booty says i don't have to do it so you just made my life easier well Thank it's you. easy i mean it's great if you can it's kind of like looking for a job online right like you don't recommend that to somebody who doesn't necessarily know what kind of job they're looking for and doesn't really know maybe even how to present themselves um, in a really clear standout way because when you're applying for jobs online, there's just billions of applications at one time. And if you don't know how to design a great resume or really pitch yourself, or again, you don't even know what kind of job you're looking for, the chances of you getting success in that area is going to be slim. You're better off going door to door places, handing a resume, meeting somebody personally, asking questions, showing up, like if that's where you know you shine, that's where you should be. And also in the process of going door to door or going to different job places, you start to learn more and fine tune your search. So for somebody who doesn't really know, just going out there and like you're exposed to everybody and everything and every single option and every variation of skill level, it could just be over- overwhelming and it might be very exhausting. Add to that, I hate most jobs. So I like, I don't know. I just, I don't know if it's, I've gotten older and more picky. Like most people, I'm like, nope, don't like you. Yep. (laughs) Nope, don't like you either. Nope, you're kind of an idiot. Nope, don't like you. Like, I'm, I've just become a bitter old woman. (laughs) 
you, you are not. And I, we're going on a fun date in a couple of days because I'm taking her to go pet baby otters. That's Ooh, true. Uh, that's so fun. Yeah, we're going to pet baby otters. Do you know what it is, too? It's like you have the switcher mentality where in that, like, there are tons of dumb people out there and not that great, not that bright, but... I don't know. I kind of like, and I am the most disagreeable person. I like, don't like a lot of people. I'm can be very judgmental, but I just kind of switched it. Like if I'm bored and around somebody, it's an opportunity for me to like learn something new. Everyone's got some piece of information, some story, some insight that I haven't heard before. And so if I'm not enjoying engaging with you, let me see what I can get out of this by being a listener. Um, and just by having fun or experimenting. Like one of the things I did in the book with the girls is they had different psychological experiments, just like Ken said, one of the girls um, had to go and do the danger experiment. And so even if you're on the date and it's a dud, not the person, you're, you're doing something fun, you're learning something new, you're connecting with a brand new person, and you're getting out of it what you're looking for. Like one of the things I say with the game of desire is that I can never promise anybody you're going to find your person. And you've already found your person, so you're, you're out of that bracket. But I can promise you that you'll never have a bad first date again. Because you're going to know how to enjoy it and show up and get something out of it and leave learning something new or leave practicing something new. And even better if it's someone that you don't have those high stakes feelings for because it's really hard to show up as a version of yourself that you want to be when you're around somebody who like is aspirational to you. Just like mm-hmm. it's really hard to do a high level maneuver um, when the stakes are high, you're better off practicing in low risk environments. And so if you show up to a date or to a connection and it's kind of a dud, you're like, great, let me talk, let me try that vaginal fluid thing I wanted to try for a long time. Or let me try disagreeing with them for half the date and agreeing the second half and seeing how they react to me. Like, I don't care what this person thinks of me. So let me play and have fun on this. And that's, I guess, going back to sort of the game element of it. You can always find enjoyment in the experience. I can't promise you're going to find the person that you want to spend more time with. Uh, but the time that you're there, you can definitely enjoy. But online dating, I, I just kind of want to say crash course. We had OkCupid, their CMO, and then also the league, their marketing expert, give like a behind the scenes of how dating apps actually work. And that's, I, I got to find a place to put that list somewhere for free. But I do actually have a, a video on my YouTube channel on how to make a dating profile. And that's literally me parroting exactly what the OkCupid expert said to me. So check oh, that cool. out. And I will dig up the link to that or you can send it to me and then we'll put it in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com for this episode. So American fuckers, if you're like, I need that, that's where you're going to find it. Yay. Um, and by the way, everybody, don't do what I did. I got banned from OkCupid because I suggested anal fisting as a first date. Oh, so don't wow. Be, don't be Ken. <laughs> But that actually... But it weeded out the people that I didn't want really to deal did. with. Like, he had a picture of him in, like, a, I don't know, some kind of leather hood and a leather apron, like, looking very s and Like, our first date would be me, like, dunking your head in the toilet and anally fisting you or something. And I, you've said for a long time, and you had that up for a couple years before it got taken yeah. out. But it <laughs> weeded out... The pe- people either thought it was a joke or they were like, or they got my sense hey, of humor. That's kind of like, they thought it was sexy. I get your sense of humor and I get that you actually are kinky, probably not actually doing what you're saying. Well, I mean, unless you got to know each other a little more and you negotiated it, but <laughs> it actually attracted more of the right kind of people to message you, right, which is interesting. It yeah. Did. That's actually me, a kids. tip. No, that's a tip that the lady from the league gave us. 
She said that like there, she gave us like a step-by-step breakdown of like what each of your photos should look like. And she said your last photo should be a weed out photo. And that's something that's intrinsically a part of you that you know tends to be a make or break for other people. So like don't waste your time. If you're heavy into politics and you know that causes some friction, if you are pro-life or if you are heavy into BDSM or you spend your weekends curling, whatever your thing is that you know, hey, this is something that people usually like either love or they hate. Like that should actually be a part of your dating profile. Nice. See, you did it without even knowing. Ken's masterful. I don't know, Sonia. You you got an expert living with you, so you just gotta. (laughs) Maybe start picking up. I don't feel too masterful. I get banned from OKCupid. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a good run. It was a good run. It's a great story, if nothing else. That's the thing too. Is like, is there at least they're great stories? You know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. just supposed to be such a fun, cool, interesting, exciting space, and you learn something about yourself, or you gain something to tell friends at a dinner party. Either way, you should be winning. Yeah, yeah. So one one last subject I want to tackle on the terms of dating is self-confidence and self-esteem. I know, especially as a woman dating, there's a lot that you put into like, do I look okay? Do I, da, 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 you know, more than we should put on, you know, physical attributes. And there was one section in your book that I personally kind of skipped over but i'm like okay what does this say about me because it was the section where it was talking about you know like uh your wardrobe yes. and your makeup and this and that and i kind of and i caught myself i kind of did like i don't need that makeup whatever and i just kind of flipped past it and then after i flipped past it i was like oh my god what does this say about me that I just skipped over that section? I was like, I'll eye roll it. I'm like, maybe that's the section I need the most. No, your makeup's always amazing. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But it's how I feel about myself. But really, what does that say about me if I kind of just was like, can't even deal with the looks thing, skipping right over that? That's fine. I mean, this is the thing with even uh, the women in the book that I worked with. Not everyone did every single thing. A ton of people did not go to the wardrobe expert um, session that we had. People did not go to the hair expert session we had because like, I don't need it. Not everybody needs every single one of these tools. And even the experiments that we did, they were optional. If you didn't want to come, you didn't have to. If you're like, I'm never going to do that. This is not per information to the quality of interactions that I'm looking for. I said, like, don't come. Like, there's not, it's kind of build your own bear. Um, I'm giving you what the, the different options are. And you can do all things like Courtney, one of the girls in the book did, or you can pick and choose which ones work for you. So I would say for somebody who's like the aesthetic thing, I don't care about that. It doesn't actually bring value to me. Obviously, we just, we can't deny that's a part of marketing, that appearance is a massive part of marketing and you prevent yourself from having to do a lot of verbal communication when you can non-verbally communicate important things about yourself. So the color expert, I mean, sorry, not the color, the wardrobe expert talked a lot about like color psychology and dressing. And so she gave us this really cool chart that was like, here's what your colors can communicate about you. And so know this before you go on a date or prepare for your day. And just so again, you're like, decreasing the amount of work that you have to do in helping other people understand you. So that might be of interest to you. Maybe you're like, I just wear black. Leave me alone. I do. I only wear black. And I was like, then I started reading more into it. I'm like, what does this say about me? I'm psychologically deficient in some way. (laughs) Right. 
but I mean, we I all don't are. like color. There's, there's too much life. There's too much life to be great at everything, to pick up everything, to, to try to make yourself an expert, you know, kind of jack of all trades, master of none. So I don't think that anybody should feel like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me if I don't have an interest in this area. Just acknowledge that about yourself. And there's certain things too, like, I am not, and I talk about this in the book, like my hygiene is like not one of my strong suits. Um, I'm sweaty, as mentioned at the beginning of this call. And I am also half Indian, and so I get BO. And I actually don't like the idea of putting on like this thick, slathery material on my armpits that are meant to expel um, daily. So sometimes I make the choice to stink. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to deal with that today. And I know that I'm doing that. And I know that I could be turning people off. I know that could be a problem for others. And I'm like, I don't care. This is, I've weighed the options <laughs> and this is a decision I'm comfortable making. And so the same goes for, I think, anything else. Yeah. Love me or love my armpits or get the fuck out. Yeah, it's all good. Like, I've, yeah. I've already made peace with your decision and I'm, I'm not going to hold it against you. I don't know. Those are the best armpits to sniff, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, ones that are natural. Like, oh, natural. Okay. Yeah. I was like, okay. No, yours too, sweetheart. But okay. yes, I, I meant all natural ones. <laughs> I'm fishing for compliments. <laughs> I have the best armpits, Ken. <laughs> so I, I have another question for you. Our good friend Brian Gross had contacted us and told us about a, a Kickstarter for a new ED product called Giddy. And when we turned on the video, lo and behold, lo and behold, behold. who was there? You. And Danny Trejo, which I went around yelling machete. For, and, like, um, <laughs> and what's her face? Oh, my God. The model that's amazing. Tess Holiday. Tess Holiday. Thank you. Tess Holiday. My brain. My brain. Tess Holiday, a bunch of Olympians. Like, there was everybody in that. But you were sort of the, the host of the of the entire thing. Can you tell us a little bit about Giddy? Yeah. So, Giddy is an erectile dysfunction device. It's an FDA class two medical device, but it is non-prescription. And you don't have to go to a doctor to get it, obviously, because of that reason. Um, and it could be a one-time purchase. Essentially, it's a cock ring that is shaped like a U, but it also has these like nubs in it that are meant to block your veins. And so erectile dysfunction is like a balloon, right? When you get too much um, air coming out and not enough air going in and you don't have a seal to stop the air from releasing, that's when you can't maintain or, or get an erection. Um, even though we think of ED as a lot about mental 80% of erectile dysfunction is actually physical. It's something that your body is doing or not doing well. And so ED essentially helps your body out and keeping blood in the area and it's shaped like a horseshoe so that your ejaculatory um, duct is not encumbered. So a cock ring, for example, puts pressure everywhere, including where you ejaculate and ED leaves that area open. So it's a lot more comfortable and not ED, excuse me, giddy. So I really liked the idea of giddy one, because women can purchase this product. And so if you are in a relationship, I mean, erectile dysfunction affects two individuals or more, depending on what kind of party you're having. But if one person is embarrassed about it because we live in a society that makes a joke into it, and obviously, and honestly, a very cheap joke that's very hurtful to a lot of people. And so if you were the partner who doesn't feel comfortable looking for solutions, who doesn't want to admit that there is an issue at hand, as a partner of someone who has ED, you can go buy it and say, hey, here's this new cool sex toy. It's going to actually make you harder for longer. And it has these little like nubs on here, which is going to give me pleasure as well, too, because it's got these ridges that are supposed to be designed for female uh, pleasure. So that's your way in that you can start the conversation without making anyone feel like there's something wrong with them. So I was just really interested in it from that perspective, that it was inclusive. I like the fact that Giddy was also having a holistic conversation about ED. Like, how do you talk about it? How do you manage expectations and feelings? What are some tools you should be doing? It has this like 
really cool 30-day guide. So it was not, obviously, initially when they came to me and they're like, do you want to talk about um, erectile dysfunction? And I was like, I don't know, one, if my audience is looking for that information, number one, and number two, like I don't have a ton of personal experience. But when I started to learn more, I was like, actually, I do have experience. You know, I have had experience like this before, number one. And number two, you're absolutely right. Like, why do we feel like this is a conversation we don't want to be a part of? And I used my own initial aversion as inspiration as to why I wanted to be a part of this discussion. Ooh. That's that's actually yeah. awesome. One of the things that I loved about it um, automatically, I'm skeptical of new products like this, especially if it's like a cream that numbs you or a pill you have to take or something that you shoot in, you know, into your cock. Uh, but this is such a low tech device and blood flow restriction is not only good for making your cock harder, but it also gives me at least a better orgasm. And I think I, I couldn't help but think because of the open ending of it that that would actually increase orgasm. Uh, I, I've got nothing to base that on, but just it made sense to yes, the, the medical. And we were just talking about this that like it's not out yet, and so but it's just one of those things when you see it, you're like that makes perfect sense. My dad is uh, was he's retired now, but he was a paramedic, and he said he went to so many calls where people use makeshift cock rings, like a, <gasps> a dinner napkin or just some metal circular thing that they found, and they use that as a cock ring because they couldn't maintain an erection. And then, of course, what ends up happening is that you get blood rushing into the area. There's no way for it to leave because the ring is too small. The penis continues to swell up now, and you cannot get this ring off. And so he had to go to a couple <laughs> things where you had to, like, cut it off. Um, so Wait, cut what off? The, the, cock, ri- ring. the cock ring. Oh, not the penis. <laughs> not the penis, not the, no. Oh, can't get, can't get the, when the I was napkin EMT, ring off. Gotta when cut I was off an EMT, dick. we had a very similar situation. Somebody, Some company made a high-end titanium cock ring. And this guy came into the emergency room that we were in and we're like, this is titanium, sir. We Our saws can't cut it. And we had to call in the fire department and use the jaws of life to remove it. <gasps> so if you're going to buy wow. a cock ring, don't what make happened? it out of something harder. It, he was completely fine. It was just, it was an S&M session essentially because he had the jaws of life right next to his junk, but they were very, very careful about how they applied it. I don't but there's know. no way, you know, a regular carbide saw that you're going to have in an emergency room isn't strong enough to cut through titanium. I would love to see a cartoon uh, description of this story because I, I think that the jaws <laughs> yeah. of life is really large. And so it is. <laughs> it is. It's like, yeah, it's like using a nuclear bomb to open a door. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So before you do that, uh, maybe consider Giddy. That's all we're saying. Giddy, yeah. 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 Giddy, Giddy will come right off. It won't yeah. be a problem. <laughs> and for, for those of you listening who have penises who are like, I need that and not the jaws of life. Again, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> not to the American. titanium cock ring. No, titanium no. cock ring, bad. Giddy, good. Exactly. Exactly. So AmericanSexPodcast.com, show notes for this episode. And uh, Shannon, I always love talking to you and i love like you know i i subscribe to your youtube so like every couple days you got a good video and i get the bang there's another video (laughs) and the other thing i have to compliment you is i have not met your husband as of yet jared however i feel like i know him because he's in all your videos well not all of them but a lot of your videos um and you guys are just fucking adorable and i love your love 
So I you can't too. I love your love yeah. as well too. I Aww. always write, I told you guys the last time this last episode that I was on uh, the podcast how I often reference you guys as Aww. mentors and as guides and as people to me. I was saying I was on the Steve Harvey show and he was just like, "This will never work" or "This is never going to happen." I was like, "I know an incredible couple who not only are life partners who are polyamorous, but in addition to that, they're business partners and they're in this together and they're doing an incredible job and they've got children and shut up." So thank you for being a constant inspiration to me and uh, for being an example for a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of the American fuckers out there look up to you guys, and I'm definitely included in that group. Oh, thank you. And our Canadian fuckers, too. Yeah. Okay. True that. True that. I'm so happy to say, like, we we were your shut up, Steve Harvey. So glad to be that for you. Um, so, Shan, where can people find your book, you, anything pertinent? And again, you know, listeners, if you're like, shit, I can't write all this down, don't worry. I will also have those links in the show notes. But real quick, where can people find the good stuff? Yeah, my book is available everywhere books are sold. If you're still not sure if this could be a fit for you, you can actually listen to a free audio snippet. I read the audio book. And so if you're into podcasts, it's probably a better option for you. And you can listen to a free snippet of the book there. And I am just Shan Booty, Booty with a D on all social media. Cool. Yeah. Oh, real quick. Speaking of you and audio, do you have a podcast that's going to be coming out soon? Did I imagine that? I do, but like I haven't figured it out yet. It's one of those things where it was like, I thought I was going to do it. And then I did a couple episodes and they were like, this is not it. I'm like, okay, but I didn't have the the brain space for it. So I got to listen to more of your guys' episodes, get some inspiration, figure out a format. So yeah, no, You should listen to the first incarnations of our potential (laughs) podcast that was awful. Like we had serial killers and anal sex was the first episode. Oh yeah. Great title. Analingus. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy and Analingus. Yeah. So that never saw the <laughs> that never light saw of the day. Light of day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Well, again, thank you so much. We love you. We love, you. love you too. Thank you so much. Right. Glad to be on the same coast. Cool. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.